Acts chapter 9, verses 31 through 1023, as we continue our sermon series uh, in the book of Acts. I invite you to stand as, you, as you're able, uh, for, out of respect for the reading of God's word. Now, as Peter went here and there among them all, he came down also to the saints who lived at Lydda. And there he found a man named Aeneas, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose. And all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. Now, there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days, she became ill and died. And when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room since Lydda was near Joppa. The disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, please come to us without delay. So Peter rose and went with them. And when he arrived, he took him to the upper room. All the windows stood beside him. All the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas made while she was with them. But Peter put them all outside and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up and he gave her his hand and raised her up. Then calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa. And many believed in the Lord. And he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon, a tanner. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius! And he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to him, he sent them to Joppa. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray, and he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is uncommon or is common or or unclean. Then the voice came to him again a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the spirit said to him, behold, three men are looking for you. 
Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you were looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who was well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them in to be his guests. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. Amen. You may be seated. The apostles know that they are called to be Christ's witnesses. He told them this in, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. He said, you will be my witnesses and, and you will uh, bear testimony about me in Judea or first in Jerusalem and then Judea and Samaria into all the ends of the earth. And so Peter and uh, the apostle Paul, are, they are busy at work being um, witnesses to Jesus. And we saw this in, in Acts chapter nine with Paul. And then we're reminded that Peter is up to that same work in Acts, uh, at the end of Acts chapter nine and the beginning of, of Acts chapter 10. The apostles know that they're called to be witnesses. But it takes them a whole lot longer to realize that God is calling them to be construction workers. Yes, I said that right. Acts chapter 10 is the greatest bridge building project in human history. And the apostles are like construction workers with, hat, with hard hats on their head. And they are engaging in this bridge building project. What's this bridge between? It's not an ordinary bridge. It's, it's not like the one that... Um, that connects Sanibel Island, Florida, to, to the mainland, um, a big bridge that I've driven over uh, many times before, and it, it stretches over uh, the, the ocean and reaches that island and connects that island to the main. No, this is not a human kind of bridge. It's a supernatural bridge that reaches across two very different kinds of worlds, Jew and Gentile. And at this time, to a Jewish audience, there would be no greater kind of bridge that could be uh, really imagined. Uh, God is going to take Jew and Gentile, clean and unclean, circumcised and uncircumcised, and he is going to bring them together. And he's going to do this through a gospel bridge, a people bridge. He does this in, in Acts chapter 10. Now, this is so momentous, so important. Um, the rest of the New Testament is, is so much formed upon what we see in Acts chapter 10 that we really have to take our time through it. So we're only going to look at the first 23 verses today. And then if, if you've said, well, pastor, you're missing some things about this. Well, see if, see if they're still missing a week after that. And then one week after that. We're going to take maybe three weeks to move through this momentous chapter. The bridge starts to be built in this chapter. And I want us to see this. Very basically, we need to see what's happening here. What, what is God doing? How is he forming this bridge? And then what does this mean for us? How does this change how, how we are living today? 
Now, notice how God forms this bridge. He does it uh, with Cornelius and his family and Peter the Apostle. Two men, two very different worlds, two different visions. But it's like God is starting to form the bridge um, uh, from the island to the main, and he's starting uh, on both sides, and he's starting to bring them together brick by brick. And and we're going to see um, even more clearly in the upcoming weeks how this bridge forms. Well, notice Cornelius on one side of that bridge and his family as well. He's a Gentile. He is a centurion of the Italian cohort. That means uh, he lives in, in Caesarea and he has many soldiers under his care. And uh, to, to a Jewish audience that would hear about him, well, the first impression, they hear these things, he's a Gentile, he's a centurion, he's of the Italian cohort. Uh, not a good first impression because he is um, basically helping out the overlords, the Roman overlords that are um, oppressing the Jewish people. Um, and, and he would be seen as aiding and such. But there's something different about him. Yes, Cornelius is a Gentile. Yes, he's uncircumcised, but he's a God-fearer. And there's this special category for a people in the New Testament and in the Old Testament who weren't Jewish, weren't circumcised, but they had come to see Israel's God as the true God. So here's Cornelius uh, decked out in his um, centurion outfit, his uniform, And yet he's just tired of uh, Gentile and pagan ways. And he's tired in particular of uh, the Roman uh, pagan gods. He sees there's no life there. He sees there's no hope there. And so he's come to Israel's God and he says, that's where the truth lies. You see, Cornelius and his family are about as close to to being Jewish as you can actually get, apart from being circumcised and adopting all the customs of the Jewish people. He's looking for the Messiah. He's hoping for the Messiah. He, he, he He would come to worship in Jerusalem, but he would be far in the back. Why? Because... Even though he is friends with Jewish people, even though he really likes to hang, hang out around them, he is not welcome to engage in fellowship with them. Friendship but no fellowship. In fact, he could not sit down at a table and eat with Jewish people. Why? Because he's not circumcised. Because he still enjoys his Italian spaghetti and sausage. That's Cornelius. An outsider. And yet, he's close. He's close. Now, isn't that exactly the kind of guy that God would take and use as one side of the bridge to take Jew and Gentile and bring them closer and closer together until they're united? Here's Cornelius. And suddenly an angel appears to him and says, God has heard your prayers. God has heard you uh, crying out for you to be drawn near to him. And and, uh, Cornelius... God is going to answer your prayers. How? By sending you to a preacher of the gospel, to Peter. Now, here's what's so interesting about this. Isn't it interesting that God sends Cornelius an angel, and yet that angel doesn't preach the gospel? You think, just just have the angel tell him. No. 
He, he has this angel as this intermediary to, to connect Cornelius to Peter. Why? Because God in his wisdom has designed that it's people, it's us who have the responsibility to, to bring, bring the, the gospel. And even if an angel could have done it 20 times better than us, he still says, no, no, it's people. It's preachers that bring the word. As imperfect as they are, it's amazing. And again, this is part of what it means uh, to form a gospel bridge that God uses people to connect other people to Jesus. Angels aren't preachers. People are. Now, here's Cornelius, and he's been told, here's the guy that you're going to go to, and he's going to give you the good news. It's Peter. But there's... Meanwhile... As Cornelius is sending the three men uh, in Peter's direction, uh, meanwhile, Peter is uh, at Simon the Tanner's house in Joppa, and he begins to feel very, very hungry. Super hungry. And he starts to smell this, this dinner, this delicious dinner that's being cooked downstairs, or I guess it's lunch, and it starts, the smell starts to waft up. Has that ever happened to you? It's an amazing meal being uh, prepared in your house, you say, oh boy, that's just heavenly. And then you start to go into a food trance and start to imagine all sorts of foods in your mind. Has that ever happened to you? Well, Peter starts to have a food trance, but this is no ordinary food trance. This is a food trance that God has brought him into. And he starts to have this vision of this sheet with four corners that falls down from the heavens. And what does he see on it? All sorts of animals bumbling about on that tablecloth that's descending from the heavens. What's on the sheet? Well, all kinds of animals. In fact, the the description of the animals here um, shows us that literally all kinds are there, creeping, swarming, jumping, animals. And surely there are some here that are are kosher, some that a Jewish man could eat, but there are certainly many here that may not be eaten. There's probably a lobster there with its claws beckoning. Come, eat me, eat me. Put me on a lobster roll. Butter me up. And Peter, Peter said, no. No. And then there's a pig, you know, rolling around and say, basically saying, you know, go ahead, turn me into bacon, eat me. And Peter says, no. I mean, it's the good Jewish answer. It's the, it's the answer that would be ready in Sunday school, right? I do not eat unclean food. You, you all heard the list that Elder Jones read of all the animals in the Levitical law that you may not eat. The list is very, 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 very long. And, and, and here they are bumbling about on this tablecloth. And Peter is horrified to hear this voice say, go ahead and eat. And, and maybe he's thinking, well, this is a test, isn't it? I know the answer. No, I'm not going to do that. You know, my stomach says yes, but my mind says no. And God says, Peter, what, what I've called clean, don't call common. Peter says, what? And then it all happens again. The sheet comes down. The animals are bumbling about. And then Peter says, by no means. And and God says, Peter, what I've called clean, do not call uncommon. Kill, eat, go ahead. 
And then it happens a third time. And Peter says, no, you, you, know, by, by, you should know from Peter that sometimes it takes him three times to really get something, right? Peter, feed my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. It takes him three times usually to get the message. And, and, and so at the end of this message, he's sitting there and he's thinking, what does this mean? Maybe you're thinking this. What on earth does this vision mean? Well, it means two things quite clearly. The first thing that this vision means is that God is saying something about plates, something on your dinner table. And he's saying it to a Jewish audience. He's saying no food is unclean anymore. No food is ceremonially unclean. We know, uh, and, and, and Jesus says this in Mark 7, that no food is inherently unclean. But now God is making abundantly clear that there is no food that is really off limits to you um, in terms of the law and ceremony of God. You say, how can that be? Wait a minute. You know, it's been 2,000 years that God's people at this point um, had been practicing this kind of ceremonial pursuit of cleanliness. It had been thousands of years uh, that Jewish people had said, clean, unclean, clean, unclean. Don't put that on my tablecloth. And, and, and yet, here's God. And, and can, can he just change that? The answer is yes. Yes, he can. Let me give you an example to help you, help you perhaps see this. Um, kids, when you go with your dad to cross the street, you walk up to the street, he says, stop, don't walk across the street. His car's coming. The car stops, he says, all right, cross the street. Two different commands, they sound contradictory, but, but, but what are they doing? No, they're certainly not. And they're all working towards the same goal of, of moving forward, of progressing across the street. And, and that's very similar to what's happening actually here in this passage um, and, and in the history of God's dealing with his people. There is a time when God related specially to that ethnic uh, Jewish people in the Old Covenant in which he said, do not eat these kinds of foods. What was he teaching them during that time? Well, there was an important lesson with the dietary laws, and they were this. We, we saw them in Leviticus 20. You are to be separate from the world. Do not be conformed to the image of this world, but you are to be holy unto God. Now, that's an important lesson, isn't it? That's a lesson that we ought to always keep in mind. Don't be conformed to this world. Don't, don't, don't let your actions in your lives just look like, like uh, the common pagan world around you. Don't do that. And, and these food laws were like training wheels to solidify that with Israel. But, but then there comes a time in the new covenant where that lesson has been impressed upon God's people and it continues to be voiced in, in, in the letters of the New Testament. But now there's a new lesson that really needs to be stressed and it's this. That people from every tribe and tongue are welcomed into the people of God without hindrance. All they need to do is come to Christ believing in him. You see, this message, this vision is not just about plates. It's, it's not primarily about plates. Yes, Peter can go ahead and, and, and eat, the, eat the pig now. He can eat the bacon. Go ahead, Peter, do it. 
But Peter understands that there's something even more important than that at play here, and it has to do with people. People. Remember, we're talking about a gospel bridge here, and Peter's part of that just as much as Cornelius. Here's the thing. God is clearly saying to Peter that no people group is unclean anymore. Peter gets it. Look um, a little bit ahead. Uh, you'll, you'll notice that he, uh, we'll read next week. Ah. I saw it earlier. Peter says, um, I now know that no people are unclean. Um, I now know that this is no longer the case. Um, And so uh, what happens is Peter realizes that this is not just about plates. It's about people. Um, And what God is teaching him is that uh, we've now entered that era where uh, circumcision and uncircumcision, cleanliness and uncleanliness, Uncleanliness is now is no longer something that separates people from the very people of God. God is taking Jew and Gentile and bringing them together. You see, Cornelius, as close as he could possibly be to, to fellowship with God's people. But what was keeping him back? The Italian sausage that he kept eating. The circum, the, his, uncirc, yeah, his uncircumcision. These were the things that kept him at bay from full fellowship with the people of God, from identification with the Messiah. And now God is saying loud and clear, Cornelius, those things no longer keep you from me. And Peter, don't, hold, don't let that hold you back from, from preaching the word to him and welcoming into the people him into the people of God through faith in Jesus Christ. No people group is unclean anymore. Don't look on Cornelius and see him as some uh, common, you know, uh, lobster or crab or, or pig. No. Cornelius, through faith in Jesus Christ, can be welcomed into the people of God. And he can retain all those things that are distinct about his Italian identity as well. We read about this, of course, in Ephesians 2, where God says that he has broken down the wall of hostility. He's taken the two and he's made them into one people. That is uh, the, part of the good news of the gospel. It's that Jesus uh, has not just come to create some, some uh, Jewish club. Jesus has come... Uh, to break down the walls and uh, for all who believe in him to welcome them into his people. It's good news. Friends, think about it this way. We would not be here without Acts chapter 10. We would not be here without Peter's vision. We just wouldn't. We'd still be on the other side of the bridge. There There would be no chasm crossed. There would still be Jew and Gentile. And the way that we eat and the way that we look and, and the way that we in uh, our cultural distinctives would still be things that kept us from full fellowship with God and his people. What a miserable world. No hope of Christ. Always wondering whether uh, God might, might somehow uh, accept us because we, we try to draw near, but, 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 we, but we can't 
fully uh, come into his people. And God says, no, come on in, come on in. That's what this passage is starting to do. And I think Peter starts to get it. I, I imagine this is very hard for him to see. In fact, friends, it's incredibly hard for Jewish believers throughout the New Testament to see this. Remember that Peter is actually going to struggle with this quite a bit. And Paul in Galatians is going to have to confront him about it because he kind of forgets about this vision and goes back to uh, setting up uh, clean and unclean categories and starts to eat with the Jews and neglecting the Gentiles. Well, here, Peter is wrestling over this, this vision. He says, well, what does this mean? And then all of a sudden, ding dong, three guys, Gentiles, one of them in a soldier's outfit. And they're saying, hey, God sent us to you. He says, you have something to share with us. And Peter's wondering, these guys are Gentiles. They're not even Samaritans. They're Gentiles. And as he's wrestling over this, somehow his heart starts to embrace the vision because what does he do? He says, okay, come on inside and be my guests. That would be unheard of for a Jewish person to do. Gentiles come and knock on your door. You you would say, friends, I'm so glad you're here. Um, I have a local inn down the street. I'll I'll pay for your your fare to stay there. Uh, Friends, I'm I'm so glad... I'm so glad you're here. Why don't we come outside and have this talk out in the street? Because you don't welcome a a, a Gentile into your home. That would make you and your home unclean. And yet Peter starts to enter into the beginning stages of fellowship with these men who are about to embrace the gospel. What does this mean for us today? I've already mentioned what very good news this is for us. We get to be part of the church because of this passage. But there's more. You see, friends, we must be willing to give up all prejudices that hold us back from the warm welcome of the gospel. That's part of this passage, too. We must be willing to give up all prejudices that hold us back from the warm welcome of the gospel. You see, Peter isn't hesitant to welcome the Gentiles just because of his knowledge of the Old Testament law. Thousands of years of prejudices are are built up. Thousands of years of understanding in his mind are are, are a bottleneck here. Um, And as we're about to see later in this this chapter, in the beginning uh, of chapter 11, part of what makes it so hard for the Jews to embrace the Gentiles is this, this... idea that the Gentiles are dogs. They eat the scraps that are all around the city. They're, they're a, a, a very poor moral influence on Jews and their children. And so Peter has this hard time actually extending his right hand and saying, come on in, come on in. It's very difficult for him. And it can be very difficult for us too. Here's the interesting, I mean, it's not just interesting, it's, it's disturbing. Christians have struggled to really let this sink in. They've, they've really struggled to let uh, the, the message sink in that there is no longer any people group that are inherently unclean. Caste, class, and race matter to us way more than they should. 
They've mattered to the church throughout its history way more than they should. It's the kind of thing that's led white churches in, in early America to, to ask um, black attend, attendees to sit at the back of the, of the sanctuary as if there is a clean and unclean, as if there are divisions for those who come uh, worshiping Jesus Christ. Labeling people as common and unclean. We, we, I think there's something in us that actually privately enjoys that. We like to spread our tablecloth and say, okay, you're, you're in, you're out, you're in, you're out. And we, we take other things, ethnic distinctives, um, uh, financial privilege, and we use those things uh, to, to divvy up who, is, who can really come close to Christ and who can just kind of stay on the edges and the, on the God-fearing uh, perimeter of the church. You know what happens? You know, you know, when, when we do that, it happens because we've forgotten that we were unclean in common. We were once a creeping thing on a tablecloth that Peter looked at and said, ew, I don't want to eat that. We, we, we were represented in that. We were the lobster. We were the pig. And we were the creeping thing. And yet God said, don't call common what I have called clean. And he took us, and by the blood of Jesus, he welcomed us into his people, breaking down that wall of hostility, getting rid of that clean and unclean that, that kept us at bay. Don't forget that. Don't forget that that's who we were and we've been brought near because we can't do that to other people. We don't turn around and start to, to do that to others. The other thing, very clear, we must be ready to extend this gospel welcome. There was another incident in the city of Joppa that happened a thousand years before Peter. God and his word came to a messenger and said, go to the Gentiles. And Jonah said, no, I'm going to flee to Tarsus. Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. I, I'm not going to go to those Gentiles. I'm not going to take a message of repentance. I'm not going to go to those unclean pigs. And yet here's Peter. The word of the Lord comes to him through a form of a vision in Joppa. And he says, by the grace of God, says, okay, I'll do it. I don't get it, but I'll do it. Hospitality is key here. Notice how Peter extends gospel hospitality, welcoming people who aren't Christian um, into his homes. Why? Because they want to hear about the message of the gospel and because how they dress and, and what they eat and, 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 and what their, uh, their bank account looks like does not matter. He's willing to make things quite awkward, in fact. It would be incredibly awkward for them to come into his home. He's, he's, they're probably wondering, what's wrong with this guy? You know, he's, he's fidgeting. He's, he's weird about this stuff. Well, of course, this is what it was like between Jews and Gentiles. But Peter is struggling awkwardly to extend the, the, the warm welcome of the gospel. And so should we. Willing to welcome people into our homes. I love how IFI you know, has this program in which we can, um, this is one way we can do this. Is invite 
non-Christian um, people that are interested in what American families are doing into our homes, serve them a meal, and talk to them about the gospel and show them how we live as Christians. That's gospel hospitality. That's saying, come and see. And I'm not going to let uh, our food differences or, or, or the different, uh, our differences in skin color divide that. Friends, God made us clean through the gospel. Why? So that we would extend the warm welcome of Christ to everyone and say, believe. Believe in him. This is the call of this passage. We're going to see more and more how pivotal it is that Jesus is the bond that brings this bridge together. We're going to see that next week. This moment, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the the great bridge of the gospel that overcomes all uh, social barriers, even, Lord, and and language barriers and ethnic barriers. What a good thing it is that we who are far off can draw near. And, Lord, what a beautiful thing it is that now um, it's our cultural distinctives that are brought um, into the praise of your name. And that, Lord, whatever we eat or drink, uh, whatever kind of uh, music uh, we, we lift in reverent praise to you, um, Lord, even if it come from outside of, of the Jewish tradition in which your word first came forth, uh, it, is, it is good to you and you embrace it and you love it. Uh, Lord, that is a beautiful thing. Lord, help us to not um, let uh, prejudice keep us uh, from extending the gospel. Keep that far from us. In fact, help us to remember where we were, who we were on the outskirts of your kingdom before in Acts chapter 10, you said, come on in through faith in Christ. And now 2,000 years later, you've brought us to that very point. What a beautiful thing. So Lord, help us to participate in forming that gospel bridge ourselves through the power of your spirit, we pray. Amen.